Beers and Banter Sparky Series. We're back. As always, we're really appreciative of the support from the guys at Gripstar Socks. Gripstar Anti-Slip Socks feature panels that create traction that improves speed, acceleration and stability. Gripstar Socks are designed to deliver maximum comfort and flexibility, featuring a breathable mesh design that removes sweat and reduces odours. Perfect for high movement sports, working on your feet or lounging safely at home. Seriously grippy. B&B Sparky Series. We're back today with the Innovative Traders Club uh, Sitting down with Ash and Jay Dub. Welcome to Beers and Banter. Hey, Matty, thanks for having us. Cheers, Matty. I'm a bit rusty, yeah, thank as you. you can tell. Uh, apologies for that. We'll uh, we'll get all that in post production. It's probably all the excitement of your footy team going so well this year. You weren't expecting that, were you? Uh, no, we 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 didn't expect that. Well, to be honest, we had high hopes at the start of the season, and. Really, a, a slow start to the season cost them at the back end because they only just missed the finals. And uh, I think there was a few teams that were glad that they did. But anyway, we're coming off the back of the probably one of the biggest weekends in Australian sport uh, due to COVID, a lot of the calendars got pushed back. So you had sports on the weekend that wouldn't normally clash with each other. With each other. You had uh, two qualifying finals from the NRL, two qualifying finals for the AFL, you had Bathurst, you had the Bledisloe, there was UFC, you had the Everest, Caulfield Cup. It was, it was my wedding anniversary and the missus was away. It was a really good weekend. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not sure about the anniversary, but from a sporting point of view, I mean, the way you've summarised that, it couldn't have really been much bigger. It's a, it's a huge, huge round of particular footy, some important games. Yep, yep. And uh, obviously played out of place. What did you have? Um I think the AFL would have been hoping that the Lions had it got up on the weekend, maybe. I don't know. They'll probably still pack the Gabba as, as full as they can get, but um, they were really hoping to sink the boot into the NRL this year, I think, with the, you know, getting the Lions up and the Queensland NRL teams going poorly. But what about your team, Ash? Yes. Your, your team, well, that would have been the rival team on the weekend, so your team no good at all this year. Hey, good, mate. Only a couple of wins for the whole year and we're not used to uh, the wooden spoon feeling, but uh, it happens to every uh, every team. It's about how we fight back next year now, I think. But no, it was very dismal, very dismal year indeed. <laughs> Just write it off. There'll always be an asterisk next to 2020. It's not the one you want to win. Yeah, I'll win you. to be this year. So sporting pursuits, What, what JW play a fair bit of golf these days. Yeah, look, I have, uh, Matt, as I get older, I've had to sort of go to sports that are sort of more aligned to my physical fitness. Uh, and golf is one of those ones that you can you can sort of play at any any type of fitness level. Uh, but in saying that, I'm mean, I used to get in the buggy and wander around and be a bit lazy. So I invested in an electric car. Um, <laughs> or don't say that. It's a secondhand one. So the, the thing's probably as old as I am, but it still runs like a treasure. Um, so I'm doing a lot more Ks now. I'm probably getting, uh, I don't know, 20,000 Ks. The way it you're saying it's an electric pull card, is it? Uh, well, it's electric, yeah. I mean, I, I carry a lot of heavy clubs and I, I need a lot of balls with the game that I play. And uh, I tend to zigzag down fairways. So, I mean, it, <laughs> it makes it a longer walk. So the battery tends to get me through to the other yeah. end. And I played a course called Mangrove Mountain, which is just up the central coast, a little nine-hole course it is now. 
So you sort of play the same the same uh, greens twice, but you have a different tees. But it is Mangrove Mountain, and hence um, from the bottom of the valley back up to the top, there's probably an incline of, I don't know, 150 metres. It's, it's literally a long way from bottom to top. A bit of so walking in that. Buggy. There's a lot of walking, but it's it's a beautiful walk up there in the fresh air. You used to be heavily involved uh, with the with the round ball football in the soccer. Soccer, yeah. Hornsby RSL um, was my club, so I spent over thirty years actually playing footy, or maybe a little bit more actually, if you include the juniors, playing with them, and um, had the honour of being uh, the president of that club for for thirteen years. So a big part of my life was around that. As I got a bit older, I moved into refereeing as well as playing. Obviously, the the body wasn't as able as the mind was. So got into refereeing, and that was a lot easier on the body because you're sort of running straight lines. So I got a little bit fit at that time and, and did a lot of refereeing. But in the end, um, the amount of feedback I was receiving probably got me to the decision that maybe refereeing, I can hang those boots up now as well. That was from the sideline during the games or was that post-game? Oh, yeah, a little bit, a little bit of that. But, I mean, you blow the whistle and you've got 11 friends in the blue and um, 11 enemies in the red and then three minutes down the track you blow your whistle and it swaps over again. So and particularly the older, the older guys, I mean, the 35 and 45 comps, uh, these guys are some of the best referees in the game based on the feedback they provided me. And they, they know a lot more about the, the laws of, of football than I do. And uh, and sometimes that feedback, um, I, I wasn't scared to give them my feedback back as well. So sometimes that didn't go down so well for someone. And uh, your other love is the, bull, the Bulldogs. That, they didn't have the greatest season, but they certainly, they're in a lot more games than they were supposed to be this year. Yeah, I mean, if you think about luck, and, and people say you're an idiot, but I mean, the Bulldogs weren't out of too many games. I think the Roosters tailed them up pretty heavily one game. But apart from that, they were, they were pretty much in the game for a lot of it. Uh, a lot of young guys in there, a lot of turbulence around the boardroom. Um, Kieran Foran, I mean, as good as a footballer he was, would take up a big chunk of our salary cap and just didn't, because of uh, fitness or injury, just didn't get enough time on the field. Um, but is Blake Green heading there next year or is he staying at the uh, Knights now? We don't know. Um, it, is, it has been earmarked to come across, but there's talk that he might be staying in some sort of coaching capacity with Newcastle. So depending on what happens there, it might free up um, uh, the Roosters halfback. They've told him that um, they, don't, they don't need him. Yeah, Flanagan. Flanagan. So it might be an opportunity. I mean, he's still a young fellow and can kick unbelievably well and obviously with a few years' experience. And what Barrett's done, particularly with Panthers' attack, I mean, they head into the grand final this weekend. He comes across as our head coach. So I think based on what I've seen in improvement, particularly in attack from the Panthers, if he brings some of that, uh, even a quarter of that to the Bulldogs in the 21 season, I think we'll – I'm not sure we'll make the top eight next year, but I think we'll be a little bit more competitive and certainly a bit like your team, we'll be just knocking on the door for that top eight um, towards the end of next season. It's so hard. You've got the teams that are established winners and then you've got the teams that are trying to climb the ladder. So, and you think, well, we've made big gains. We're going to, we're going to start to climb the ladder, but everyone seems to make the, the, the same improvements over the, the course of the off season. And it's, it, it is very, it's such a close competition uh, in some respects and then so far apart in others, you know, the, this year there was probably five or six teams that were clearly, uh, mm you know, far and away better. And then the, then there was the rest were probably not, not going to win it. So it's, it's well, the, hard to try and climb into that top six. 
No, look, it is. But the talent pool is just not as deep anymore without having the reserve grade and the, sort of the under-23s competition now. There's just not the place for a lot of players to actually get that toughness, if you like, to prepare them for that final step into the NRL. So I think it's going to be an ongoing problem in many ways to, to find the talent to sustain the teams, and particularly the pace of the game now, the amount of injuries, um, sort of muscle tissue injuries that they're getting. COVID might have contributed this year, but certainly some of those law changes or rule changes in, in the NRL have sped it up. And uh, some of those players that were sort of stifled and couldn't get involved, I mean, look at your team. I mean, I think it really favoured the Titans this year. Some of those players that are all natural instinct players really stood up and, and won, won a lot of games with the Titans this year that might not have won under the old rules. You saw a couple of big bodies just uh, leave the game too. You know, traditionally yeah. guys that had come on and play 15 minutes, um, there was probably no place for them in the new game. You've got to be a lot more agile. There's still going to be big bodies, but it, it did really seem to favour the young uh, you know, speedy guys playing eyes up footy when when those well, there's f- real fatigue now, isn't it? Yeah, they are getting tired. As a result, that opens up the play for the smaller, faster guys. And uh, what about you, Ash? Uh, over the years, we've seen you do some phenomenal feats uh, with your body. What's your what's where are your sporting passions? What where, where do you spend your time when when it comes to sporting pursuits? Nowadays, mate, it's uh, more following the boys. My boys and their uh, and their pursuits in footy. Um, I've got three sons, and they keep me fairly busy during the weekend on the weekends, uh, following their AFL footy. So uh, I enjoy that now, mate. I played a lot of footy growing up, and like like all of us, and, and feeling the effects of it now. But um, yeah, more more fun watching everyone else do it than having to do it nowadays. So. It's, I can have a beer on the sideline as well, watching. So it's actually quite good fun. I, that's a massive oversight on my part. We haven't even we haven't thrown the beers up. I'm uh, I'm drinking a, a first point pale ale from Land and Sea Brewery at Noosa. I was on holidays there a week or so ago, and I didn't mind the taste of those. So I thought I'd bring one of those along today. Are they one of your sponsors? It was a very impressive introduction of that beer. Uh, <laughs> no, no, it's uh, I. I well, they should be. Open the quality of this show, they should be a sponsor. Open the sponsors. Can do reviews. <laughs> uh, let's have a look. An all-Australian pale ale brewed with a base of Aussie pale malt then hopped in the whirlpool with three Aussie all-stars, Ella, Vic Secret, and Galaxy, then dry hopped with the trio again in the fermenter. I don't know. It may have just been the location, but it tastes pretty good. No, good stuff. <laughs> I've got a... I'm not sure if you can see this one. We've got older over here. Yeah, about there. Uh, yeah, you see that? The Miller's Chill. I'm not sure if you tried this. It's got a little uh, twist of lime in there. It's, um, and it's only one standard uh, one standard drink to the bottle. I don't think so we've had those on the pod. Very much a, a summer beer. Well, Miller's Chill, I'd recommend all your, all your viewers out there to, to get out there and have a crack. I'll wait till they're at the 10 You know the $10 deal at the counter? You ever get that down your way? Yeah, you'd be waiting a long time. This is a premium beer for uh, <laughs> premium guys. <laughs> Ash and I get into it. It's uh, it's not bad. Never, uh, never heard so much rubbish normally. Show me a West End. Where is it? No, well, you know what? How bad yeah, did you get last week? Very West End shutting down in Adelaide. Terrible. Terrible. Terrible news. Travesty. So were they still independently owned or where, where were they at? No, 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 no. Lion Nathan. Lion Nathan. 
So they only had, uh, I say only, they, they, they're moving it, uh, I think, New South Wales into one of their breweries there. Yeah. It's about 100 odd people will lose their jobs here, mate, in, uh, in the factory. But uh, we also have the big chimney. It, uh, it's which has the, uh, the winning the winning team of the SANFL from yesterday will go up there on Tuesday, uh, tomorrow, and the runner up will get their their colours flying as well. So the big debate around Adelaide at the moment is where will the chimney end up? Where will the colours go for next year? So it's really weird that uh, that you know to go away from local beer making in this sort of craze that is craft breweries and local beers and people really getting behind local local products that I've seen it massively since I started doing the pod is that, you know, people are moving away from the, from the larger, larger companies and the larger, you know, breweries that one beer brewed for the whole country and they're, they're going into the boutique breweries. You would have thought that that was a, a chance for Lion Nathan to really keep a, a South Australian identity for, with their customers. It, it seems odd to me that they would move that and leave it, but smarter people than me run these things as you guys yeah. would probably know uh accounts <laughs> accounts and hr run most yeah. companies these days but <laughs> it's uh yeah it's a hard one mate, but you probably hit the nail on the head you know with all the brewers around and the breweries and you know, it's, a, it, it's an experience now to go to there and taste their beers a bit like the old winery tours of of years gone by you know we're now running uh brewery tours yeah. Um, so yep. all the brewers and try their beers. So, um, and a lot more of the bigger outlets are happy to hold the, you know, the uh, the one-offs and whatnot, and let everyone try them. So I suppose that's what doesn't help. Um, but yeah, the NASA during the week, so uh, uh, they're going to turn the land into apartment. Oh, oh, looks at it. So we'll see what happens. We'll create some jobs, but we'll lose some jobs. It's a shame. Yeah, it's a shame. All right. I want you to take our listeners and viewers back to the start of your, you know, this show is called, this is our Sparky series version. So it's a bit of a spin-off. Uh, I want you to take us back to the start of your electrical careers. Where, where did it start and and how did it progress? Go on, Jay. I might, I'll start. Mine started a bit earlier than Ashes. Um, was it festoon lighting in the war, was it? Uh, festoon, yeah, oh, yeah, lots of festoon, yeah. I was gas lanterns actually. I didn't, actually. I didn't have electricity when Johnny started. I did, I did my apprenticeship with the state rail authority or the railways in New South Wales, and there was a lot of back then the big utilities employed a lot of trading. So I think uh, I was one of about uh, a bit over a thousand uh, different trades that the railways put on, and 180 of them were electrical fitters and electrical fitter mechanics, of which I was one. So I used to get on the um. In the grey overalls, so they had all the different coloured overalls for the different trades, painters in white, welders in the dark green, car key for the carpenters and blah, blah, blah. Um, so in the railways, every six months we went to a different part of the network. So you sort of went from very uh, extra low voltage right through to high voltage, um, AC and DC. So there's a real cross-pollination um, cross of different parts of the industry. So you learn a lot about lots of things without really becoming a master of any. Uh, I know Ash and I, we shared our stories about when we started. And the first eight weeks or two months of my apprenticeship was filing steel. So literally in the toolkit that we got on day one was uh, just taking chunks of metal 
and then just filing it into into different shapes and sizes, all true and square to face and uh, all that sort of stuff. So learn a lot about the craft, if you like, of, of being a tradie. And you probably don't get that as much more. And even the last few months, we've been talking to different tradies and particularly apprentices, how they, they probably use in many cases as an alternate uh, or cheaper labour so that they may not always get the true um, artisan part of the trade. But the railways, I certainly did enjoy that and, and met some really amazing people. So that's where I started. Uh, and I left there pretty much at the end of the apprenticeship and went and worked for a company called Quirk Electrical. And that was, I suppose, my first step out into that commercial space. And we were working on a, um, a village retirement village out at Mossman, it was. And it was all double brick, so it was all chased. And again, we share the story. Literally, I don't know how many, how many tens, if not hundreds of kilometres of wall chasing I did, but I suppose I really didn't touch my pliers and uh, my traditional sparky tools for quite a few months. I was all just preparing for the fit out. And how, how does it make uh, you feel? Um, how does it make you feel with all the silica stuff coming out when you think about all the times you spent on the grinder? As a, uh, I know we we did a lot of work in a double brick retirement village. Um, you'd come home, dust your hair would be solid from the dust. It'll be all up your nose, and that was with protective equipment. You know, we, you know, I worked for worked with my dad. He was always looking after us, but you'd still get an, a, a certain amount of dust. You know, ingress, and now with everything that's coming out. We're what what do you think that's uh, how do you, how does that make you feel? Uh, I guess. Look, I don't. I'll be fair, honest. I don't want to think about it because there's so much stuff that you went through. I mean, and asbestos in particular. That that asbestos lagging around air conditioning and pipes. I mean, uh, back then you probably just didn't know what we know now. So yeah, I, I try not to think about it because um, you just don't know what's going to happen there. But certainly today, I mean, some of the things that we did in the past. Um, it would be unacceptable today. There's no question about that. You, but again, I suppose we're just naive, just to really understand the risks associated to it, and particularly in the construction industry, so many uh, like the James Hardy issue and some of those things. There's lots of products that are out there that people were just naive to; they didn't understand. And to your point, the silica, even some of the bench tops they still talk about now. A lot of the um, stone masons and the tiles and that could still be exposed to problems of the future that are only being found out now. Definitely. What, what yeah, so I got into construction. Um, sorry, in construction, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, it was yeah. And so I learned a lot. So I mean, spent many years uh, on the tools. A lot of high rise stuff too. So stuff out of the ground, 15, 20, 25 story buildings, Sussex Street, Kent Street, Market Street. So did all the deck work, that type of stuff, and then converted that into either office space or hotels or hospitals or whatever it might have been. So it was a pretty cool time. Um, and particularly New South Wales, back when I was there at the at that time, anyway, it was really booming, massive growth in, in the construction industry. We went from, the, I think, uh, the BLF had just moved into the BWIU and now I think it's the CMFEU. So sort of many of them working in industrial, uh, well, um, unionised sites too and, and the complexity comes with, with managing that environment. Yep. And what about yourself, Ash? Where did it all start? So mine uh, was with the Australian Army, mate, the Defence Force. So I joined as a 17-year-old many, many moons ago and uh, started my electrical mechanics apprenticeship there. So we did, uh, we were a little bit different than civilian apprentices with you guys. We spent the first two full years of our apprenticeships doing theory. So we knocked off all of our theory. And uh, someone said many years ago, I worked out about 1,800 hours extra theory time than 
than what uh, a civilian apprentice would normally do. So we lived on base and just at the back of uh, Albury Wodonga um, on the, the Army Apprentice site, um, right near the huge weird, beautiful spot to be. Uh, we didn't think it at the time, but when you look back, we were pretty fortunate. Um, and you got uh, most of the sergeants walking around about six foot six and, and ripping India. So it wasn't all that much fun early on, but uh, it got more fun. So we spent two years there, mate, and then headed to Sydney for two years and did two years full-time with a civilian contractor. Yep. So we were based in Liverpool, but we were farmed out to civilian contractors to, to get our practical up because before then all we did is board work, board wiring in the in the classroom. So so we did that and that was good fun. I spent some time with a guy called Kev Generals who who uh, I don't know if Johnny remembers, but played for Manly. Um and his son followed him at Manly as well. So uh, he was interesting. He actually taught me the game of rugby league, Manny, because coming from Adelaide, all we knew was um, AFL, um, and back then it was VFL um, and SAFL. And, uh, Bring back the Rams. Oh, well, we followed mm-hmm. the Rams all that, all, all that briefly. Um, it was good. It was uh, I spent every day in the front of his combi van, an old plumber gas bit of combi van or something or whatever he had, mail, modern Australia Post, whatever it was, and we travel all over Sydney in this thing and he'd tell me about the – he just brainwashed me in the NRL. So, uh, so it was good. It was a, a really good experience. And then I spent the next three years travelling, spent a year in Brisbane and a couple of years in Melbourne with the, the Defence Force travelling around doing different installations and bits and pieces. So and it was time. I spent seven. I signed for nine, spent seven because they were – at that stage the government thought a smaller – Defence Force would be a better option. That's so uh, he always took the chance to jump early and, uh, and got out, mate, moved back to Adelaide, worked for a guy for about 18 months and then started up my business, um, which we did here for, for the next 12 years after that. So, so I was very – I had it fairly varied, but it was very different apprenticeship. We didn't do – other than the two years in Sydney, you know, I wouldn't say we, we spent a lot of time touching, uh, touching the pliers. Johnny knows the story about painting rocks white when they needed mm-hmm. you to do something, you just paint some rocks white that led up a driveway path. Uh, so we did a fair bit of that sort of stuff, but lots and lots of fitness, if you can imagine, you're getting ready. So uh, unfortunately or fortunately or unfortunately, whichever way you look at it now, I wasn't lucky enough to jump on an overseas posting, so a lot of my seniors did. Yeah. Um, and that's Cambodia, Solomon Islands and, and, and the likes, so they all went over. And, um, but we are very lucky as uh, we were part of the engineers, so... While we were learning our trade, you know, we spent time doing all sorts of things, learning how to build bridges. Uh, we built many a bridge over, over the rivers, uh, you know, lots on um, mine detection, as we've seen in the past with, you know, our army ever doing that, and lots of stuff in uh, blowing things up, mate, which was probably the most fun. Um, so working out uh, how explosives work and what happens. So so very varied. In yeah, the normal electricians, when they're, when they're blowing stuff up as an apprentice, it's not a good thing. No, no, it's normally, you know, dropping a, a spanner in a, a switchboard mate or something like that. So, uh, so yeah, really varied. And, and I look back now and think, you know, lucky. You know, I was fortunate enough to do it. As I said, probably didn't think that way in the early days. At the time. But, um, yeah. but it was good. Uh, you both managed to transition into sales roles. What, what, was, the, what was the theory behind that? Or what, what was the, the catalyst for that? Mine was um, just opportunistic. Uh, the company I was working for, Quirk Electrical, that I mentioned earlier, 
they had grown quite significantly over a fairly short period of time, sort of 40 through to maybe 150 at its peak, and doing a lot of high-rise stuff in the city. And uh, long story short, it was when uh, Bondi and Skase were around. I'm not sure if people listening or watching remember those two characters. Uh, Bondi got uh, the America's Cup. He sort of uh, won that. And then um, I was born a couple of years after think, we won the cup. That was good. Uh, yeah, well, you're too young. But anyway, and Scacy, he was uh, he was building all these resorts, Port Douglas and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, they uh, they took a lot of money out of the banking system. Westpac was one of them and uh, the company I worked for. Anyway, so the, the receivers come in to have a look. And because we had so much retention, 10% of the contract values held for 12 months in that warranty period and basically couldn't access the capital. So the liquidators... Um, uh, essentially close the business. So I was looking for other opportunities. I, I rang a, a company at West Ride and uh, they said, come in for an interview, went for the interview and that two hour interview and I got the job. So all of a sudden, the, instead of a spark, you know, I was a sales guy. And what I didn't really understand until a few hours afterwards, that the reason I got the job was because I didn't pay anything. It was commission only. <laughs> so you only got uh, you only got paid um, for what you earn, and it's no different to I suppose our audience tradies. I mean, anyone in small business is exactly the same. They do not get paid till they sell something, and uh, so I suppose that was my very first um, business, if you like, because I had to go out and sell stuff. And if I sold stuff, I got paid. So that was door to door type stuff, home improvements, windows, cladding, guttering, um, carports, screen enclosures, extensions, kitchens, bathrooms, anything pretty much to do with a home around renovations. You ever seen a show called White Gold out of the UK? Uh, no, I haven't seen that one, but there was. Um, Ch- check it out. Was a, yeah, we won't, we won't go down that rabbit hole. White Gold, it's called. White gold, or it sounds like it might be very similar, um, but, but that's how I learned to sell. So I did that for a couple of years and uh, and learned a lot. It was it was amazing because you had to leave literally with a signed contract and a ten percent deposit, and you could not go back there twice. Once you walked through that front door, you had to leave with a, a buying decision. So, needless to say, you learned a lot about selling quite quickly. Pressure's on. Made uh, I, I would say really uh, very good money. But inconsistent, exactly the same as small business. It's not as if you're an employee, someone you get paid every week, fortnight, a month. In small business, sometimes uh, there's more sometimes and a lot less others. And that's exactly the experience I had there. Um, but that's how I got into selling. And it was a, I suppose I've never looked back really. So it hardened me up or gave me an insight into selling that I wouldn't have got in other places, I don't believe. And that's something that, as, and I've been there for a short period of time myself as a, as a small business owner. It's something you don't really understand as a trader is that you're actually in sales. What you, you think you're an, you think you're a tradesman, but you're you're actually a salesman that's got to deliver a product. Um, yeah. What about yourself, Ash? Well, because we'll go into that. I think you guys have got some great insights into that. What about you? you tra- what was your transition from business owner to sales? So at the time, at uh, about three years before. I, I went into sales. I joined up with a mate of mine who was an air conditioning or refrigeration mechanic. Um, he had a business and uh, we played footy together and whatnot. We joined up and uh, into, into our business and um, um, started a, a partnership and been a partnership before. And that went really well and was going really well. And uh, I went to this day, we still made sure it didn't end badly. Um, he just decided uh, one day that he was going to move to Gimby up in Queensland. So uh, it was always going to make it a bit hard to keep the partnership going. If he was in Queensland, so and as I said, I, I uh, you know was amicable, and he just decided he needed a sea change, and 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 he's still up there. 
Gimpy's not by the sea, just quietly. I've spent many. Maybe. But yeah, he's loving it up. He's working with the Gimpy Cats. I think he's president of the club or something and muck around. But I had the choice then to, I suppose, essentially break away and go back to doing electrical only again for myself and on my own and doing all that or or um, I got to know the Clipsal boys over the, the reps over the years and um, and it was just a chance that one of them would come and come to see me uh, I know about a week after I made a baby's decision. He said, oh, we're looking for people um, in SA sales. So I thought, oh, well, what do you do? Do you, you know, I'd been sparky in the business for 12. I thought, well, New challenge, so I took it um, all those years ago, mate. And uh, yeah, that was just a chance. I said it was just a chance meeting that they'd come along the time and we were chatting away. And um, I think uh, a week later, I'd gone in for an interview that only lasted half an hour, John, not two hours. Um, <laughs> the interview process. And uh, yeah, got walked away with the job. So um, that led me into 12 years of sales with, uh, with the Clipsal business, mate. So uh, as you know, so yeah, that's where it all began. So both got a solid solid background, you know know what it's like on the front line uh, on the tools. You've both got good sales history. Where did the uh, where did the idea and and what is innovative Tradies club? What, where did that come from and, and what is it all about? Can I talk about the idea, John, then you talk about the trade what we do now? Will that work? Yeah, of course. Yeah, John, and I, uh, John and I spoke about this Matty. I'm going to say I've been out of Clipsal just over three years now, so I'm going to say probably about eight years ago. Um, John and I were travelling around and doing some stuff around the country and uh, and I said to him, like, there's a lot of businesses that need support. There's a lot that, that you know, are good at their trade but don't tend to know much. We, we started talking about over those years, um, you know, setting people up so, you know, you, know, you give them a computer and a phone and a, the bookwork and the training and, and away they go. And so we, we, you know, we sat on the idea for ages and just kept sort of every now and then we'd catch up and it'd become a topic over a beer. Um, so that's where it sort of, if you go back sort of eight or nine years ago, that's where we started about it, talking about an idea of how do we help, and that was Sparky's only back then, um, how do we help the tradies become? Because... When you look at the percentage of businesses that go broke within the first 12 months in Australia, um, small business, it, it's scary, the percentages. Um, the amount of people that think, yeah, we can do this, we can all be better than our boss or we'll earn more money or we love the freedom, you know, which all those three things are nearly incorrect. Um, yeah. It's amazing how many don't make it because they haven't set themselves up well in the beginning and things like that. So. So that's essentially all those years ago um, over a beer that the idea started and then to what we've got today, which I'll, I'll let I don't, you talk about. I don't know if it crosses to the other trades, but I certainly know uh, in 2010 I made the big bold move because I was I was at Clipsal at the time and uh, there was this exciting thing called the MBN coming and I could see this smart home revolution coming and I decided to leave um, the safety of, of working for Clipsal and I was going to go out my own. I spent six months doing two nights a week at the local TAFE because I had to refresh my uh, capstone test at the time. So to make prove my competencies there. And they also make you do a business course. Now me in this business course, thinking that it's going to be actually how to run a business, 
you know, how do I quote? How do I win jobs? How do I run the books? All those sorts of things. How do, you know, marketing. And there's none of that in the business course that you have to do to be uh, a contractor. It's all about legislation and I'm sure very important stuff, um, but not actually setting you up to, you know, to get past that first 12 months to make sure you don't fail. Um, so if, if, if the other trades are like that, then, I, then it's, it's very easy to see why that, that happens. You know, I basically came out, uh, it was 2010, so great time, <laughs> GFC. Um, and I found myself working for other tradies. Um, I, 12 months later, I'm off to the mines to, to top up, you know, supplement my income, doing stints in the mines and all those sorts of things, backwards and forwards. And um, yeah, it's tough. It's, it's no surprise that that's, that happens in the first 12 months because you've got no, unless you've got, you've saved a heap of money, which most people don't. They think, oh, well, I'm just going to start working. And what you don't realize is you spend most of your money either paying your wholesalers or buying new tools or, or buying new gear to make you better at doing your job. So it's, yeah, no surprise that that first 12 months is the hardest for, for businesses. Yeah. Yeah. No, and even uh, we've got a podcast trader, Avangard, and interviewing um, some tradies, and it's interesting, and, and you sort of say that first 12 months, uh, many of them are saying, oh, that first five years is probably some of the hardest, <laughs> hardest times. So if you put it in the context there, it's, um, it is a bit of a hard grind. Uh, so I suppose sort of following on what Ash said, you know, I mean, we've shared these conversations. I mean, we've had a real strong passion for tradies and, and our background. I mean, like Ash, I mean, I had 25 years with Clipsal and, and Schneider Electric after I finished um, that direct selling job, um, moved into Clipsal in 1994 and through different circumstances had the opportunity to to move move out of Schneider after a wonderful 25-year career there and, uh, and start doing some own stuff. And, and then Ash and I teamed up to start Innovative Traders Club. And the motivation of that over many years working with traders, we know they're really talented. They're doing a fantastic job in their trade and they might be working for a boss and all of a sudden they, they work out that they can probably go out and do it better themselves and, and make a lot of money. So to your point around going back and doing your capstone and stuff, I mean, that really doesn't answer the question about the business part of business. An innovative traders club is is really about that, recognising in the construction space that uh, sparkies, plumbers, chippies, tilers, um, landscapers, jibrockers, painters, all, all those traders working in the construction space, the business model fundamentally is, is very similar, although the complexity of electrical, plumbing and building a license typically so there's a bit more compliance there to the trade in regards to the qualifications and, uh, and certifications and stuff but generally speaking that community also all work together all those tradies know each other uh, as tradies and part of i suppose developing that i mean if if we looked at our vision and and ash and i are by no means marketing gurus uh, by, by any stretch of the imagination but I mean, uh, our vision, we said that tradies to be engaged and motivated to be the best version of themselves. And fundamentally, that's exactly what we believe. Wherever they are now, if we can help them to be a little bit better as a result of the influence that we have and or the network or the community that Innovative Tradies Club can provide them, we think that would be outstanding. So I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. And the mission, if you like, um, to inspire tradies in the way they think, feel and act by connecting that community of talented tradies together uh, to provide real value. So really creating the network for them to be able to leverage those relationships, those skills. And I mean, you've been in selling, Maddie, and, and I know that tradies don't like 
the word salesperson. They don't see themselves as a salesperson, but of course, that's exactly what they are. Um, so we probably have to come up with a different language that sort of aligns to, to getting that result of getting a decision or getting an order and getting paid for it. Um, if it's not selling, maybe some other language. But transforming tradeology is uh, is the is the thing that Ash and I have brought to it, trying to get traders to think a bit differently about the business part of business, but more importantly, simplifying that. Um, so working with other industry experts, <clears throat> excuse me, one thing we aren't is uh, there's some amazing industry bodies that look after the sort of specific needs of those trades. I mean, in electrical, we know that there's NECA and Marshall Electricians um, do a very good job representing their members, uh, HIA and MBA in that construction space that do a great job representing the needs of those. Master plumbers and all the variants of that around the different uh, regions, the uh, master plumbers use the Wales, Queensland and so on. So we're not trying to fill that space. What we are trying to do is just help raise awareness, uh, have tradies tell stories from tradies about some of the things that might help people moving into business or maybe thinking about moving out of business, a different way of thinking about it and more importantly, getting the rewards for, for their expertise, their knowledge and their skills, not underselling. We see a lot of that because they don't understand the business part of business, they actually undervalue uh, their values to their customer and undercharge in some cases or don't understand the right price point uh, for what they offer. Yeah, definitely. It's it's one of those one of those things that I think customers, and particularly if I go back to the electrical space, and and maybe I was when I left the business in two thousand and ten, I was I was probably a little bit early for the smart home revolution, but we're really starting to kick in, see it kick in now. But the problem is that there's a, there's a lot of people out there that don't really know what they need and and who's mm-hmm. going to deliver it for them, but they know they're interested and they know that they want to connect their phone to devices in their house um so tradies have got two options they can let um some of the major retailers run that story or they could step in and and step up and and be that trusted advisor to their customers and say well look yep there's there's those products over there but these are the ones that are that are actually going to work long term and and deliver the actual outcome for for the for yourself and what you're after you know as an end user so um exactly if I could add to it, Matty, too, what you were saying about the trading. The other, I suppose, the other focus group is um, traders' partners. Um, it, it's in a small business, you find a high percentage of their, their wife, their partner um, at home doing the books, trying to put together, you know, keep it keep it running on that side, all the bookwork and you know, put the quotes together or, you know, paying the bills and whatnot. So we'll have a big focus and that's how when I first started you know, happened for us, and we've always want to make sure that you know they need as much help running the business as the trading needs in making sure he's doing good business. So um, he or she, in that regard, so we're we're going to have a big focus on also the partner at home and how do we help them. So we'll run you know, webinars at different times of the day that sort of suit them, and because generally they're trying to uh, also bring up a family at the same time as help help their partner run the business. So. Um, yeah, so there'll be a big, big part, a big play in that um, through Innovative Traders Club as well. So you're both very social sort of sort of fellas. I'm assuming there'd be a, a social aspect to this club. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Maddie, things have changed quickly, but of course, I mean, socially, networking is really the language you're talking about here. Yes, because yes. Because people are social beasts. I mean, if COVID's taught us anything and 
I mean, poor old Melbourne, but even many people in, in mental health, for example, I mean, isolation is a terrible thing. And the other thing we talk about, particularly trade, is sort of in business uh, for themselves, but not by themselves. It can be quite lonely for a lot of tradies out there as well. So I know that in the past, electrical has been reasonably well served. There's been a lot of activity that's been done extremely well. But if you think about that whole construction space, we see there's an opportunity to bring that community together more often, whether it be virtually or once COVID sort of clears up, we'll get out on the road shows and stuff. And just get out and just talking about stuff, talking about those issues, and particularly uh, things like mental health, as an example. It's it's one of those things that thankfully is getting uh, more awareness now and there's more open conversations about it. But I think there's still a lot that's been done in that space. Uh, Ash talked about the partners in the business. And I know in construction, I think it's still as low as about 3% of participation in construction trade is is, uh, is female so there's still a big chance to maybe grow the, the amount of participation in, in a real meaningful way of the amount of ladies or women that are attracted to the trade because there are so much benefits of, of being in the trade i mean i've got uh, two daughters and one son so as a ratio i've got a lot of self-interest in in seeing that uh, that market being opened up to two ladies that want to get involved. So that's a big opportunity for us. We know there's lots of amazing suppliers and I mean, our, our title is Innovative Tradies by Choice because it's about innovation. It's about doing things a little bit better. Leveraging the technologies and you talked about um, sort of the smart home and the apps and devices and stuff you know, that didn't come up so well, but, but this thing's pretty much in people's hands all but 24 seven. And even when they're sleeping, they sometimes wake up and reference it. So. Um, using that technology for tradies to, to make better decisions on using their time and, and getting the best return for their time and some of the, the technologies that sit behind that device to, to really drive productivity more importantly and get a better return for their, their efforts. That's great. I look forward to following along and watching the club grow. To finish off, though, I've got three big questions that I ask all my guests. Um, we'll go uh, give it rapid fire, but JW, give us your answer and then Ash, and then we'll go to the next question. You ready? Yep. Favorite place in the world for a beer? Dingo Beach Pub. Dingo Beach. Top of the Eiffel Tower. Sorry, I missed you there, Ash. Top of the Eiffel Tower. Oh, geez. For a beer? A, for a beer? Yep. You didn't ask for yeah, a brag. Are you allowed to brag? Is that part of the game? Yeah. yeah. Do they sell beers up there? What beer was it? Name the beer you drank up there. I can't. I couldn't actually. Probably a Stella. Probably a Stella. Too long ago. Uh, But it's an impressive story. Well done. (laughs) Favourite athlete of all time? Favourite athlete of all time? After watching The Last Dance, to be honest, I was not into basketball in such a way as many others, but when I saw The Last Dance of Michael Jordan, that amazed me. So I think uh, what he did to transform was just incredible. We've seen last week, we've seen LeBron James go to four championships, four MVPs. Uh, In my opinion, he's he's still not not Michael Jordan. And maybe that's just nostalgia talking, but... You know. It could be. It could be for a generation, but amazing. I don't think LeBron transcends basketball like Michael Jordan did. Michael Jordan he changed the rules. He, he changed wouldn't have been able to walk anywhere in the world without – and that's maybe that's more branding than uh, actual sporting ability. But, 
he's still the MJ still the goat in my eyes. Ash, yeah, I'm with you. Same Bolt. You saying Bolt? Bolt? Freak. Show Freak. us the flash. Freak. Wait, imagine if we had a run. Show us the far. flash. That's I it. <laughs> got it. <laughs> he uh, he turned up to some. Um, I can't. It was like the NFL Combine the other week, and just easily, just easily coasted to their forty-second um, record or something like that. And a pair of runners, not even in spikes or anything like that. Although well, saying that, it, it, he, didn't get a con- he didn't get a contract with the Mariners, so he could run fast, but he couldn't. <laughs> what was that? Get, with your Mariners, with your soccer connections, was that hype or real? Was that just marketing? Oh, look, I think it was genuine passion. I think he wants to be a professional footballer. I, I, I think it was genuine, most certainly. I thought it was going to be. I thought. I thought it was more likely to show up in T Twenty cricket. I mean, the Bulldogs would have signed him, but that speed down the sideline, he would have <laughs> been a great winger <laughs> for sure. You can't coach speed. You can't. No chance. Righto, last one. Any four people from history over for a beer and a barbecue? Who's coming, and what are you cooking? Oh, well, I suppose from a footy point of view. Craig Johnson. I mean, what he did at Liverpool and sort of really put international footy on the map. It'd be great to have him at the barbecue. Um, we just lost Dean Jones a little while ago, but as a as a younger guy, I thought he was a real game changer in that. That um, so, in absence of Dino, I think um, you can have alive or dead. You can have Dino there. I'll get him back. Yeah, for I'd you. have I'd have I'd have Dino there um, from a cricket point of view. Rugby league. Uh, actually, we saw Sturlow. We were out on Sunday, and he was out having a having a punt at it, um, Rouse Hill. But um, it was a footballer, probably Mal Meninga. Actually, I'd like to pick Mal's brain, Australian coach, and the fourth one. The fourth one. I'm not sure, Matty. It's not coming to me. When the borders are open, Ashley Ralph. Well, I think South South you can go from South Oz to Sydney now, can't you or not? Yeah, they keep threatening to close them again on us. Yeah. yeah that'll be the problem, is it people are gonna start planning travel for Christmas and they're gonna end up stuck. Yeah, well, your, your premier's not helping us. But well, actually, your premier's helping New South Wales, to be honest, because the North Coast is absolutely booming. A whole tourism market that probably would have been enjoyed by Queensland is now being localised by New South Welsh uh, residents. So I think, uh, thank you. Well, it's funny It's funny that, though, isn't it? And maybe there's a massive percentage of Australians that can be out of the country at any one time. But I would say there's some places like Byron Bay and Noosa and different destinations that are really uh, receiving the benefit of people being stuck in their states at the moment. So maybe. They're booming, uh, absolutely booming. Noosa was at capacity. You could not rent a room there two weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, Ash, four people over for a barbecue. Uh, Well, I think from a footy point of view, uh, Malcolm Blight, I'd like to, uh, I, I, I spent, it was interesting as a sparky when he first moved to Adelaide to coach the Crows. Um, he bought a place and he, he rang the company I was working for and I was sent over to do some work. Didn't know it was him that I was going to meet till he opened the front door. And uh, I spent about a week there doing some uh, some work and it was just 
just only got a couple of conversations out of him, very quiet bloke, but I thought you know, it'd be great to spend a bit of time loosening him up with a couple of beers and, and I think there'd be some very, very interesting stories about what went on through the two grand finals he won for the Crows and things and how they were betting on the races at half time <laughs> and things like that at the grand final. They were wow. so I think it's some interesting things there. I think um, Joel Garner, Big Bird, only because I remember watching him at Adelaide Oval many, many years ago for all the redevelopments and, you know, we, we were allowed to, uh, I think we took the day off school to go and see the, the last day of the test and they ran out there with like a, I don't know what it was, 10, 11-year-old, I suppose. We all ran up to Big Bird for some reason and, you know, he just looked up and he was just enormous and mm-hmm. um, I don't know, I think he'd be quite a character. Um, Steve War, I think, would be excellent on having him along, to, you know, just on where cricket's at at the moment, you know, more from a, from a today point of view and what he thinks about all the dramas that we've been through not long ago. Um, and the last one, which I think would be super interesting, would be my great-grandfather who went, went through World War I. Um, yeah, right. Because some of the stuff that would have come back, you know, everyone's seen the movies, everyone's seen what they went through through the trenches and, and you know, coming out over the top and, and he passed away over there doing that. Um, but, yeah, I think imagine that, you know, if you were able to get him back and have a chat about what they went through back then, just horrific with that sort of World War One experience. So, um, And what would I serve them? have to be uh, lamb chops, mate, wouldn't it? Lamb chops. Lamb chops on the barley. Sounds good. <laughs> J-Dub, what are you cooking? You didn't tell us what you're cooking. No, I just, yeah, caught me there. Well, it would be food, but pizza. We've got this beautiful uh, wood-fired pizza oven out the back and uh, my beautiful wife Penny's mastered this uh, this base, really crispy and it's, it's fantastic. So they'd be pizzas, whatever topping they wanted. Sounds good. Well, gents, I could talk to you all afternoon, but we, we better wrap it up. Uh, where, where can our listeners find you and follow along and or, you know, join and come on the Innovative Tradies Club journey? Well... Up here, up there, Innovative Tradies Club. So www.innovativetradies.club on the website. Uh, you can see us on all the socials. So just look for Innovative Tradies Club and you'll find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, Ash is just working on our first TikTok. So that, that'll come through later in the year, no doubt. <laughs> it won't be any good, but uh, we'll do it. Uh, it's a podcast, mate, with uh, Tradie Avant Guard. Our site, you can find it on Spotify uh, and the likes and download that. We're up to number 10, so we're only, we're only rookies, mate. We're, you know, we don't have all that much experience, but we've been enjoying it and, and uh, it's been good fun so far. So, those who like podcasts, there's one there to, uh, there's 10 there to have a listen to. And uh, come along and join. We, we have a free site, so people can join for free and, and get some information uh, before they join, but otherwise, it's uh, at 275. Membership, so that's a yearly membership, cheapest chips to get um, all the information to help your business, plus some savings, you know, with some partners that we've got on board um, that'll, that'll bring some really good deals to their businesses if uh, if they need it. So, plenty of opportunities. All right, well, I look forward to listening to more pods. The guys can put the guys and girls can listen to that in the ute or the van as they're going to work, and uh, I'd love to have you on down the track. Cheers. Cheers, Matty. Thanks, Good man. job.